All right, like I said, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to try to ramrod some bob wire through your heart. But we're going to sneak it. That, that sounds like some saints right there, mature ones. Like, yeah, bob wire. That's what I had for breakfast. Forget Wheaties. Them's for sissies. I have bob wire. High in iron. <laughs> I want to teach you how to study the Bible topically tonight. And for some of you, this will be easy. For others, this will be... Um, uh, maybe just a good exercise, and I want, we're going to study something together, so hopefully you want to, if you have notes, you can take them, and I'm going to build notes as I run through this with you. Uh, I want to discuss a subject on the heart. One of the reasons is I think it's a fitting uh, subject, and we can never exhaust the subject of our heart, because until we die, we got one with us, and until we die, the Bible warns us our heart is desperately wicked and curably sick. And so with our heart, we can say one thing, but with our face and our mouth, we can say something totally different. One of the Lord's greatest complaints against his people is, he said, it's like Isaiah prophesied. With their heart, they do draw near to me, but their, excuse me, with their mouth, they do draw near to me, but their heart is far from me. And this is the concept of being a hypocrite. If you're familiar or you're, you've studied or been taught, the word hypocrite is a Greek word, which means stage performer. And it means one that performs from behind of mask. It, it was originally used for stage performers. And as they would trade characters on stage, they'd put on different masks. And it evolved as a word, as words do, to represent those who say one thing but believe something different. Or say one thing but act a different way. And our heart is always the source of hypocrisy. I can tell somebody, I love you, and smile, and my heart be far from them. And we, how many of you remember or recognize that's one of the greatest things Jesus condemned everywhere he went? And so I want to make sure we cover that pretty thoroughly. The Bible also reminds us that we're to judge ourselves. I've taught us for years that we ought to pray that the Lord would turn up the volume of our heart so we could hear maybe where we're hypocritical. And I think many of us have been rebuked by the Lord and he said something to us and we were like the men of the Bible and said, not so, Lord, not me. But when the Lord thumps you, it is so. You, you can't debate it away. You can't argue it away. When the Lord says it, it just is what it is. We can't be like Peter and say, not so, Lord, not so. When the Lord says it, it just is. And we've got to accept it and say, all right, Lord, if that's so, how is that so? I, I've told you my testimony. And again, forgive me because I only have so many of them. It's not like I'm as old as Amy. I don't have an additional 40 years of stories to tell you. My stories are the only ones I have. And some of them, you're helping me to write every day, but I got to give you five years to mature before I can tell your story in my life anonymously. Somebody gave me a coffee mug that says, be careful or you'll end up in my sermon. <laughs> didn't say how long till I waited. I knew a guy once, happened yesterday, who didn't did this, that, or the other. Uh, so my story with Dr. Barclay 20-something years ago, when we were praying for him, Dr. Barclay is my pastor now. 20, 22 years ago, he was not my pastor. 22 years ago, he was uh, my pastor's pastor. And uh, I was a little bit irked at him. I didn't agree with what he would teach all the time. And I was paying to take his teachings at, at SMTI. I was taking his video Bible school. And so over the course of a whole year, I just sat there and just laid up scorn in my heart, mockery in my heart. And it went something like this. Hey, are you enjoying SMTI? Man, I'm loving it. And in my heart, I'm going, I don't agree with half of it. And that is a manifestation of religion. Sure. You get anything out of it? Yeah. A whole bunch of notes I don't agree with. So, you know, your face says one thing because you're religious and you know how to play the game, but your heart is somewhere else. And what happens is you become a liar. 
because you can't be honest. So this was me laying up deceit in my heart. And so after a whole year of that, we were praying for Dr. Barclay at the end of the SMTI year. It just happened to coincide with the prayer service. And my pastor, Pastor Trey, said, let's pray for Dr. Barclay. He, he's facing some opposition. And as we corporately began to pray for him, the Lord said, why are you praying for Dr. Barclay? You don't even like him. And that was the Lord revealing to me my heart. And I argued with the Lord. I said, not so, Lord. I love Dr. Barclay. I've been to two years of his Bible school. He's prophesied over me. I've given offerings to him. I love him. I've read almost all of his books. And the Lord said, you don't like him. Why are you even bothering to pray for him? Three times the Lord told me, you don't even like him. And when the Lord tells you, you don't like something, you are the one that is wrong. And no matter how much you argue with God, you're never going to be right. And you're not going to convince the eternal one he's wrong and you're right. So I said, all right, Lord. And uh, then, you know, my story, the next day I was, I don't know why I didn't ask then. I was just an idiot. But the next day I asked the Lord, all right, Lord, you said I don't like Dr. Barclay. Why don't I like Dr. Barclay? And the Lord instantly spoke to me at McGee Tyson Airport, circling laps in a 92 dinner mint green Honda Accord, waiting to pick up my mama. He said, you don't like Dr. Barclay because you don't think he's enough like you to suit you. So that's an example of your heart deceiving you. And unless you hear the volume of your heart, you would deceive yourself into thinking, I love Dr. Barclay or whoever. You have to have the Lord speak to you in these moments to correct you. And those are very uncomfortable moments because you can't escape from God. If it was a human rebuking you, you could say they don't know what they're talking about. But you have a problem when it's the Lord who speaks to you because you've got to resolve that. What are you going to do, tell God he's stupid? But many times we do with our attitude and our rejection. So what I want to do tonight, I want to study through, it turns out it's all in the book of Proverbs except for one verse. We're going to do a topical study together tonight. I'm going to teach you how I study topics, and I think it'll benefit you. It doesn't mean you have to study it just like I do, but we'll study a, 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 an emotion tonight, an emotion that is a voice of the heart, and I think it's an important one. I've been teaching the youth Sunday school the last couple of weeks, and I'm having a blast because we've been talking about attitude. And our youth are very wonderful kids. I hope you parents of our youth appreciate how great your kids are. I know they're kids, and I know they need to be parented, but I think we have awesome kids. And I have really enjoyed teaching their Sunday school, and we, i got a couple more weeks left with them. So we've been talking about attitude, and one of the things we've covered with attitude is that attitude is the voice of your heart. We've learned that attitude is directional. You can direct your attitude and then redirect your attitude. You always direct it towards something you do or don't like. If you love something, wow, I love it. And then with something else you don't like, wow, I do not like that. And we can find that we can turn our attitude on and off like the bat signal. It's a deception when we say, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. We as parents tell our kids, you can help it or I'm going to help it for you. And it's hypocritical of us to expect our children to instantly adjust their attitude. And we sulk for a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. Some folks, man, they've been sulking for a decade. And I'm sorry. To, I'm glad I'm not you. That's all I can say. The other reason I want to teach on this tonight is because I have been in my private study since I finished the botany book. I've been continuing to study the Talmud and what's called the intertestinal period to see how the Jews from the day of Ezra went from being so spot on in wanting to preserve the knowledge of God's law so that they can continue to be a people to becoming a people Jesus shakes his head at in disgust. How did they go from having a revival and a resurrection of the word of God and yet converting that to something Jesus preached against everywhere he went? Because that's the spirit of religion. 
And all of it dealt with the heart. That's why I use the term hypocrite and whitewashed sepulchers and, and platters, clean platters on the outside, but filthy, full of avarice and greed on the inside. And this, all of this speaks of this ability to be outwardly religious and pious and outwardly facadal, put on your happy, smiling, happy people like R.E.M. sang about, and inwardly be full of dead men's bones. This war, uh, the Lord has me studying this for a reason, and it's not for us to be Jewish because there's nothing new under the sun and religion takes the word of God and perverts the people who love it. That's us today. So what I want us to study so that we don't become religious or legalistic or learn how to hide behind a facade, a hypocrite's mask. I want to study this emotion, the most condemned emotion in all of Proverbs, the most addressed emotion in all of Proverbs, and that is the word scorn. So we're going to, for the next hour or so, look at all 17 verses in Proverbs on scorning. So this is going to be a topical study. We're going to hit 17 verses. If you pay attention and write fast, we'll move quick. If you give me attitude, I'm making this a two-hour teaching. <laughs> I don't get to preach next Sunday. I'm taking it out on you now. So what I would do if I was going to study scorning, and that's what we're going to do, I'm going to write scorning at the top. So my notes instantly tell me, what I'm talking about, scorning, scorners. And it would always be wise to look at both the original language and also the English equivalent. So I'm going to use my Bible app. This is how we're going to study together. I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 1 because it's the first time the word scorners is used. And I'm going to look at this word in the original Hebrew. And what I'm going to do is pull a, a list of definitions. So if Proverbs talks about scorners and scorning, modern translations are going to use the term mockers. Let's figure out what the definition of is originally. Again, we're going to study this together, but I'm also going to teach you how to do a topical study. And some of you, you do this already, so just bear with me. Others, I've got to teach them how. Uh, we're always adding new people to the kingdom. And then there's always the old people who've never learned anything, though they've been here longer than me. Got to help everybody, you know. Cast a broad net, try to catch as many fish as possible. So the Hebrew word is lust, which means absolute nothing to nobody. And we don't care about that word, but I do want to see what this uh, Thayer's lexicon has to say. So it says to make mouths at, to talk arrogantly. All right, so to talk arrogantly, make mouths. That doesn't mean a lot to me, make mouths. So I'm going to write that down. I'm going to move down a little bit to the third definition, hefil in the Hebrew, which means to mock. That means a little bit more to me to mock, to deride. I'm going to probably have to go look at that in the dictionary, to deride, to scoff. So those words seem to make more sense to me, to scoff. Now, the thing we're going to learn, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a kind of a punchline now, as we're going to see here over the course of these few verses, to be a mocker or a scorner, don't envision um, Monty Python's Holy Grail, where they're going, boo, boo. Because if that's what you think mocking is, you'll say, well, that's not me. Oh, that's, I would never do that. But what we're going to find out, it's a voice of the heart. It's a smile and an attitude behind the smile that would send you to hell. Because you smile, but in your heart, you're like, this is so stupid. Boo. If I had a rotten egg, I'd throw it at you. Because I'm so pious and a hypocritical mocker. I hate you. That's what we're going to find out about this heart voice. It's the most condemned attitude in all of Proverbs. 
and you'll find it's the most destructive. And it's so easily hidden with a, a tinsel smile. And we're Southerners. We play this game well. Amen. So let's go and look up some English words in the English dictionary. So scorn, that was one of the words I found. Uh, that's an equivalent to, uh, I see, I said uh, scorn, scorners, to scorn. That means open or unqualified contempt. So scorn, which is what the King James uses, to be a scorner. We're doing a word study on a topic called scorning. Open or unqualified contempt. So really contempt, but it, it isn't just contempt. It's unqualified. Unqualified contempt. So really now we're getting to the heart of it, contempt. You just hold something in contempt. You care nothing for it. I just care nothing for it. Now that wouldn't be bad if it was something God condemned. Sin. We should hold sin in contempt. We should hold lying in contempt. We should hold abortion in contempt, murder in contempt, embezzlement. We should hold most of our politicians in contempt and a lot of Christian television preachers in contempt. Those things are worthy because the Lord holds them in contempt. How about derision? Something you, you derive, but that was the definition we see. Uh, disdain is a word linked here. I'm going to hop over to disdain, see what disdain. We're just kind of building the heart of this word because we don't often use the word scorn, though the Bible does a lot. So to disdain is to look upon or treat with contempt, to despise. Oh, well, now we're getting to the heart of it. A scorner despises stuff. To think something unworthy of notice or response. We're all guilty of that. We get a text message and we despise it. We disdain it. It's like, that's not worthy of notice or response. Now, we don't mean to do that, but we've all left text messages unanswered because you get buried with a hundred other text messages. Sometimes we purposely look at a text and say, I'm not even replying to that. We've all done that. You know, coming back to our attitude, attitude is focused. It's like a laser. We can point it here or we can point it there. Every one of us is guilty of getting a text, looking at it and going, ooh, who's that? What do they got to say? And eagerly open it. And every one of us is also guilty of getting a text, looking at it going, ugh. <sighs> and you purposely ignore it so they can't tell that you've not opened it. But it's not like you haven't checked your phone a hundred times since they texted at eight o'clock this morning. Oh, they still haven't seen I texted. Oh no, we've seen. We're just ignoring you like you do to me. We do it to each other. It's kind of almost our new social contract. Just because the dots never appear doesn't mean I didn't see that you text. We all know these tricks. Why are you so quiet on me, you hypocrites? You're all guilty of it. You know how you can open up iMessage and just scroll through it, read the first five words of it, go, I don't want to answer that, but I haven't checked it yet, so it'll never appear dots on their side, so they won't know I got it yet, but we know that you got it. We're already practicing scorn, the most condemned emotion in the book of Proverbs. To think unworthy of notice. Man, this is not a real positive emotion unless it's used properly, to think unworthy. Now, the reason I, when I study, look at all these different words is I want to build the culture of the word. I want to understand the nuances of this word. And especially if you study King James or New King James, and honestly, if you just study period, there's going to be words used that you and I don't use, and we need to know what those words mean. Unfortunately, as Americans, 
as citizens of the 21st century, our vocabulary is shrinking. I would also encourage you to look up words and not just assume you know how to pronounce them. Um, okay, so one proverb says, he that lies dissembles with his lips. The word is dissemble. I've heard it misread for years as disassemble. Now, we all do dumb stuff like that. But if you read it as disassemble, you're going to misinterpret what the verse is even saying. So to dissemble means to disguise and lie and hide. So he that lies dissembles with his lips, not disassembles his life and falls apart. He that lies disguises his lying. So there's a totally different interpretation because that's how words work. You, you use the wrong word. It totally changes the meaning of the sentence, right? Autocorrect has ruined many of your conversations. By like, and I, you, we've all done it. You type in the word, you correct it. It recorrects you seven times in a row. And you're just like, I hate that phone. Send me a smoke signal. Hopefully it's not raining or windy. I hate you, Siri. You're going to hell. Sorry, that feels rude. You judgy. <laughs> we've all done it. And it's even worse when it's a cuss word. Why does it keep auto-correcting to that word? Well, because it hears you use it a lot, I think. Oh, we're sorry. Did you mean this? <laughs> to think unworthy of notice or response. And this is just a dictionary app. To consider it beneath you. Now, these are positive terms if you're talking about sin and rebellion and wickedness. These are things we ought to see as beneath us. These are, ought to be things we despise. Going back to scorn, it also means to reject, to refuse, to ignore. To reject, refuse, ignore. Now, what I also like to do with a little bit of liberty is as I study a word and do run it through a proverb or through a book of the New Testament, if I'm doing, let's say, a a study of Timothy or Romans, and a word keeps appearing, like doctrine appears over and over again in Timothy, and grace appears over and over again in Romans. I want to know what that word is, and I will take these definitions and insert them as synonyms to help me get the feeling of that doctrine. Again, this is called studying your Bible, not reading it, not doing a daily devotional. This will do more for you than reading your Bible for the next three months to get your bookmark checked off like we talked about this morning. What we're going to do right now will do more for you spiritually than reading the first eight books of the Bible and not being able to tell me what you got out of the genealogies. And I'm all for reading the Bible if you want to do it, but it's not going to make you a deep spiritual Christian. Amen. All right. Okay. So now that we have our words, let's run through them again. To make mouths, to mock, to deride, to scoff, to despise, to think unworthy of, open or unqualified contempt, to consider beneath oneself, to reject, refuse, ignore. Let's just look at deride real quick because these are all synonyms now and we, we kind of know what these are. To laugh at or scorn, to scoff or jeer at mock. If all we ever think mocking is, is boo, an open protest, like we're woke and we just got to get our feels on, uh, we're going to miss how much we actually scorn people and churches and God in our heart. 
God always deals with our heart before he deals with our outward. He's always concerned with the motive behind what we're doing, not so much what we're doing. That's why the mask and the happy, smiley, feely does not impress him. That's even why the hands lifted does not impress him. He wants the heart. He said in the Old Testament, rend your hearts, not your clothes. To rend your clothes in the Old Testament was to show repentance. He said, I don't care about you ripping your clothes. I want to see you rip your heart because we can religiously rip our clothes. For all the commanded sacrifices he made in the major prophets, he started saying, quit burning your animals. I don't want to smell that stink anymore. But it was a stink he commanded. But the heart turned. All right. So no back to scriptures. So we're going to start and just work through these verses one at a time. Proverbs chapter 1, where all we're going to look at is this one word in the Hebrew, luz. It's a primitive root. There's no way to further distill it. So let's look at what the Bible, the book of Proverbs, has to say about this emotion. And let's judge ourselves in every situation. You're not going to be happy with what you discover. But it is what it is. And we just are left with the word of God and doing something. We're not just going to read through this verse because we've got to get through Proverbs. And today, we're going to study because that's what shows us approved. Because that's how we rightly defied the word of truth. So Proverbs 1.22, first time this word appears. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? That is to say, how long will ignorant people boast in their ignorance? I told you. Uh, I think Wednesday, that one of Pastor Vaughn's weaknesses was the fact that he boasted in his ignorance. This verse condemns that. It is not praiseworthy to be simple-minded. Proverbs says, in all you're getting, get knowledge. It's okay to be ignorant, but the second you discover your ignorance, you're now responsible for resolving it. We, we don't brag about being stupid. It's, it's nothing praiseworthy. Now, it's one thing if it's astrophysicists talking and it's way above your pay grade and you've already got a pretty good pay grade and God doesn't need you to know about astrophysics. That's okay to be ignorant there. But if we're talking common sense, day-to-day things that are necessary to succeed, we don't need to know the unit mass of a red dwarf to succeed with Christ. So be ignorant of that. Don't even know what those words mean and you'll be all right. I mean, unless you meet a red dwarf somewhere and then you don't want to like be an ableist or something. A red dwarf, that's just a sunburned midget as far as I know. He's the eighth dwarf. He's touchy. (laughs) Amen. Listen, I find myself humorous, and I think you should too. You should be blessed that you have a pastor that can both teach you deep things and make you laugh. If you can't laugh at most of my humor, which is pretty, I mean, it ranks pretty high on the humor scale. I want to know, why are you wound so tight? Do you ever laugh at anything? I mean, do you have any joy about you? Can we ring that chamois out and get a chuckle? <laughs> I don't know. Some people you can't help. Verse 22, continuing. Uh, is that what I said? Yeah, verse 22. And the scorners delight in their scorning. So how long will ignorant people love being ignorant? And how long will the scorners delight in their scorning? So how long will those that mock and deride and refuse to respond and and hold things in contempt, how long will they be that? So obviously, if you find yourself in a place of contempt or mockery or scorning, the Bible asks this question, how long are you going to stay there? 
How long will you delight in? Because apparently sometimes it feels good to delight in mockery. The thing I've also observed is that, and again, this is a lighthearted analogy, but if I don't like the organ ducks, I always pick on the Ogilvies because they like the organ ducks. If I don't like the organ ducks and I want to jeer them or deride them, I'm going to probably gravitate towards other people that jeer them and deride them. I was in Walmart the other day and there was this Asian looking fellow. He had on an organ duck shirt and I stopped and said, that's not an organ duck shirt, is it? He wanted to fight. I was like, yes, it is. You got a problem with it? And I said, well, yes and no. I just, I was just trying to have fun with you, sir. I got friends at my church that wear the duck shirt and, and uh, I, I don't know. Now I felt like an idiot trying to have fun with this total stranger in Walmart. Not a good time to witness in that moment. And I said, are you from Oregon? No, I just like the ducks. All right. Like every other duck fan, I know got no reason to like them, but you like them. So it's not like they're a good team or anything. When you jeer or scorn something, you're going to find yourself spiritually aligning with other people of the same heart aroma. That's why righteous people gravitate towards righteous people because we scorn sin and rebellion. We're not perfect, but we scorn sin in our heart, which gravitates us towards like-minded people that also hate sin. If you scorn righteousness, you'll find yourself gravitating towards also or to other people who also scorn righteousness. You can always tell what's in your heart by who you gravitate towards. So the Proverbs asks the question, how long will scorners delight in their scorning and how long will fools hate knowledge? So the first thing Proverbs says about scorning is that if you're not careful, you can get addicted to it. How long will you delight in it? It's addictive to bellyache. I think we all recognize somebody who just always complains about something. They're always bellyaching. So let's be careful. I'm going to put my first verse down, chapter 1, verse 22. I'm going to write it down. And I'm going to say, scorning, what I see out of it as I study this, scorning is addictive. It draws other scorners. And I think if you find yourself always complaining, it's really indicative of what's in you. And sometimes that can be an ugly mirror to look at. Why am I in, why am I in another conversation where we're all complaining? I'd rather run with people that are always thankful. Thankful for trees and thankful for finances and thankful to be saved. And, and you know, this isn't the best food, but it's better than nothing. And this isn't the best rental car, but it's better than walking. And yeah, you just have to really listen to the voice of your heart because it probably needs to be adjusted. As children grow, you have to correct their language because they mispronounce words or misuse words. Same with our heart. As we grow in Christ to the day we die, we're still growing. The Word of God wants to correct how we say things and how we describe things. So let's find the next verse. Let's see what else we can learn here. Chapter 3, verse 34. I'm looking at the Hebrew word, not the English word, but the Hebrew word. So it says in chapter 3, verse 34, Surely he scorneth the scorners. So verse 33, we should back up. Who's the he? The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but the bless, he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Okay, now we got problems because it's not just us hating scorning now. We see that God hates scorning. In fact, this verse tells us that if you sow scorning, you will reap scorning. Because if we sow scorning, God will scorn us. So scorning is something we can reap and sow. So I'm going to write down 334, and my footnote's going to be, you reap 
what you sow. And unfortunately, in this case, God helps you harvest. And it also likens scorning to receiving the curse of God because scorning is wicked. So verse 33 tells us that scorning is wicked. No way around it. And it brings the curse. It brings a curse. Well, you only have to have two references to scorning in the Proverbs, and I'm ready to change. Lord, have mercy on me. But wait, there's 15 more verses. Hopefully by the end of this, we're going to be really happy, smiley people whose smile is a reflection of our heart, not just a religious, legalistic, southern, cookful culture. <laughs> I love Jesus. <laughs> Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly. That tells us that scorning is also prideful because the contrast of the proverb is scorning versus receiving grace. Receiving a scorn from God versus receiving grace. He giveth grace to the lowly, so scorning is a fruit of pride. Scorners are prideful. Well, that's what the definition in English said, to think it's beneath you. Scorners are prideful. So, I don't want to be this. God help me not to be this. It's going to come out of you. It's going to come out of me because we're human. We have a wicked heart, desperately wicked, incurably sick. Who can know it? And yet we can train it by the word of God. And when we smell it come out of us, the scorning, we can repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I, forgive me for bellyaching. And in my household, when my kids get to bellyaching too much, we, we go back to our discipline of, all right, give me five things you're thankful for. And it can't be anything you can see with your eyes. Because our kids will go, uh, thank you for this couch that we're praying on. And thank you for this pillow. And, and thank you for the ceiling fan. Like, oh, this doesn't count. Shut your eyes. Come up with something better. <laughs> Find another verse because these just keep getting better. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. This is how I would study this subject. Not even to prepare a sermon, but to know about scoring for myself. To know how scorning work looks in my kids because I don't want my kids to be scorners. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. Well, let's back up. Verse 6, forsake the foolish and live. So we're not supposed to hang out with stupid people. As it's often said, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Because I work with the police now, my YouTube channel feeds me police videos. Some of them make me weep when I see officers killed. Some of them make me smile when I see idiots get just desserts. And the video I watched yesterday is uh, from a Denny's footage of this guy trying to rob a car full of girls. And he's got a gun, and he's screaming at them, and they're freaking out, and it's just chaos, pandemonium. So one of the girls gets out of the driver's side. She isn't the driver. She's a backseat passenger. She runs inside screaming, he's got a gun. He's robbing us. He's got a gun. And this guy freaks out, the armed robber. So he takes off running because his getaway car is right there waiting. And as then, then the driver puts the car in reverse, and he backs up, or she backs up, and the door's still open, and clips the dude. Stumbles, he slams into a car, takes off running, runs to his getaway car. This is all on Denny's surveillance. The, the getaway car leaves him. 
this is brilliant. I, I laughed and laughed and laughed at this because when, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So him getting clipped was funny to me because you just tried to rob these girls and you put them in severe trauma and they just want to get away and you get clipped by the open door because you're too stupid to shut it. So then he takes off across the next parking lot and the girl swings the car around and what does she do? She sees a criminal running with an open parking lot. So she runs him over. <laughs> she hits him, throws him in the air. He ends up shooting himself in the head and killing himself. In midair, he fumbles, boom, splat. And the commentator on the video said, I don't think they pressed charges against the girl in the car because the way the lieutenant on the police press gave it, he chuckled at the full incident report, which means they're not pressing charges against those girls. The Bible says, forsake the foolish and live. And that's why you teach your kids, little Jimmy's an idiot. Don't sit by little Jimmy anymore. Why is Jimmy an idiot? Because his mom and dad are idiots. Well, you're teaching prejudice. Absolutely. It'll keep my kids alive. It's not a color prejudice. It's an intellect prejudice. And the Bible is prejudicial. It condemns sin and stupid. And we should condemn sin and stupid as well. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. He that reproves a scorner getteth to himself shame. So this tells us something about scorners. You can't rebuke them. So here's how we judge ourselves. When's the last time we rejected a correction or a rebuke? This tells the, the pure, innocent person in the scenario. We're not all pure and innocent all the time. But in the scenario, the, the, the innocent person, the righteous person, goes to rebuke a scorner, and all they do is inherit shame. So when's the last time we rejected a rebuke? Because it may reveal how much scorn we have in our heart. Some people are known for always complaining. And I can tell you as a pastor, there are some people that are impossible to please. And it is really, really exhausting as a shepherd. And the, typically those people don't realize everything that goes on behind the scenes in a shepherd's life. That some people, you just, they're impossible to please. And it's because they're addicted to scorning. It's never good enough. They're just always bellyaching. And you could correct them, but I've learned not to. Because all they're going to do is chew you out. Who do you think you are? There's no love here. And, and everything that I'm accused of being, they actually manifest in full effect. And so sometimes the exhaustion of a shepherd is saying, I just, I'm tired of feeling like I can't do anything right. At that point, whenever I feel that way, I realize I'm not the problem. The scorner is the problem. Because when you walk with God and you're thankful, you don't require a lot. You don't need a lot. You're just thankful to be a part of a local church, to be loved on, to have a job, to have three hots and a cot. You're just happy to be where God's called you to be. So when you rebuke or reprove a scorner, you get to himself shame. And he that rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blot. So now, we're, again, we're doubling down calling a scorner wicked. We're associating scorning with wickedness. A scorner gives shame to correction. A wicked person gives a black eye to a wicked person. So we're going to say scorners reject correction. When's the last time you or I rejected correction? Because it might show part of the attitude of our heart. All right, just one simple point to be gathered there. We look at, um, actually, verse 7, verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8. 
Reprove a scorner, lest he hate thee. Now we're in this stupid, stupid catch-22. All right, Solomon, you just said, if you rebuke a scorner, they're going to shame you. And yet you're supposed to rebuke a scorner so they can learn not to hate you. Why do you have to rebuke them? Because their scorn is a manifestation of their hate. Rebuke a scorner, lest he hate thee. Let's see what that looks like in a modern translation, because I don't like the way that reads. All right. New Living Translation says, So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you for it. King James says, Reprove not a scorner. I'm sorry, I misread that. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Reprove not a scorner. All right, so we double down on it, and we have to leave scorners alone. So to me, this is troublesome because it means if my pastor, if my mentor, if my wife, if my parents don't bother to correct me anymore, have I been given up on? Because there's a biblical commandment, don't even bother. Don't even bother correcting those that despise, those that condemn, those that disdain, those that are better than everybody else. Don't even bother to condemn or rebuke those that bellyache about everything. That tells me as a pastor, when, when it's impossible for please, to please people, don't even try anymore. Yeah. Correct the wise and they will love you. That really reveals the heart. Our response to correction our response to correction shows where our heart is. The Bible says don't despise the chastisement of the Lord. And if you didn't know, it's not always the Lord himself that corrects you. Sometimes it's the boss. Sometimes it's the pagan professor. Sometimes it's the popo, the police officer. Sometimes it's the lady at Hardy's. Sometimes it's a random stranger. Sometimes it all comes just to reveal what's in your heart. When's the last time you could take correction? What do you fall apart over? It reveals your heart. Dr. Barclay teaches us that we ought to be able to receive correction even from our worst enemies because you know what? They're looking for your dirt. They're looking for your faults and your foibles. And if you're mature enough, he always says, you can use it to get better. Because those that love you, they don't even care. They got so much love for you, they just overlook everything. I don't care about nothing. They just love you. But those that hate you, they want to nitpick your life. And if you're mature enough, nitpicking will make you a better person. If you're immature, nitpicking is a pain. Oh, it's torture. Oh, I understand what the early church felt like being burned at the stake. I'm being nitpicked by people who love me. Oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Oh, did you go see the Barbie movie too? I feel like you did. Living in a Barbie dream house maybe? Yeah, grow up. The Bible says, you correct the wise, they will love you. We ought to get to where we tell our boss, thank you, sir. I'm sorry you had to correct me. Correction always proves the maturity of your heart. So this is why we're studying. If I had prepared this for a sermon, I would have caught that, that I misread, reprove not. Let's read verse 7 and 8 again. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. I have been there a thousand times as a pastor. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. When's the last time somebody invested in you? Do you know you and I determine how much discipleship we get? And we're to be taught and discipled to the day we go home. 
There never comes a time when you don't have anybody in your life tweaking you. Even the senior ministers have companions, Peter's and Paul's holding uh, uh, James and John's in accountability and vice versa. But at the same time, we can so advertise, I'm off limits and untouchable, that you haven't been corrected in a long time, not by any kind of leadership. And that's a poor testimony. And I've learned, you know, some folks, you just don't bother. You hate to say it, but I'm not, I'm not going to invest in them anymore. On the job, if your boss hasn't thumped you in a while, you're either the best employee or he's just given up on you praying for a recession. All because of scorning. This little attitude of the heart. So verse 8 says, don't waste your time on mockers. Don't waste your time. Now, that ought to encourage us as parents to raise our kids to not bellyache, whine, or complain because somebody's going to have them in their life one day and God's going to tell them, quit wasting your time on this kid. We want to make sure that our children are taught to always be thankful. Verse 12 is the next verse. It says, if you be wise, you shall be wise for yourself. But if you scornest, you shall bear it alone. Uh, Let's look at that in the New Living Translation. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will will be the one to suffer. Uh, So scorning causes you to suffer. So I'm going to mark that down. We're just building a doctrine of scorning. Scorning brings suffering. Of course it does, because nobody's going to correct you anymore. God's not going to give you grace anymore. You're going to be all alone, belly aching. And then, unfortunately, the person, the scorner is going to be justified in their eyes for why they're scorning. See, I knew it. I knew nobody liked me here. I knew nobody loved me. I knew this, these people, these, this job is full of snobs. This boss, he's a little Nazi. Yeah. Yeah, he's incinerating people behind the building after work. Yeah, he's a Nazi. I mean, I'm telling you, we are such a weak need society anymore. We get our feelings hurt. I, I personally believe every person should have a job at some season of life so they can be, learn to be chewed out. And then don't change jobs just because your boss is a jerk. Breathe it in and realize he's in charge for a reason and you're the one making minimum wage for a reason. I will tell you the hardest people to pastor are the unemployed people because they don't know what it is to be commanded. The easiest people to pastor are military and EMT first responders because they understand rank and file. They get it. They don't care. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. They have a trust. But honestly, the worst people, truthfully, are typically, uh, well, now we're getting into like the victims. You you know, the victim-minded Americans, you can't hardly pastor those. Those guys are almost a total lost cause which is why I preach against it so much. But then the next group after that are those who either never worked for anybody or they're self-employed and have been since they were 14. Because those folks have always been in charge and they don't know what it is to be commanded. You have to learn to be commanded. You have to learn in high school when the Taco Bell line manager says, that's making a, that's a bad taco. Do it again. Knock the taco out of your hand. Oh, oh. Then you wet yourself. Go change pants, you sissy. We're making tacos here, not PP. You want pee-pee? Go to Panda Garden. They have pee-pee all day long. Or pay-pay, depending on how you speak. <laughs> Scorning brings suffering. We got to grow up, church. Quit belly aching about everything. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. You do realize we're in an eternal battle with the devil. And uh, 
he, he's very successful at destroying Christians. And Dr. Barclay said, if you can't receive a rebuke from someone who loves you, the world will destroy your life. Chapter 13, verse 1 is the next one. I'm having fun here. Hopefully you're learning something, judging yourself. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Here's our second witness that scorners, actually the third witness, scorners don't like correction. A wise son hears a father's rebuke. We might be able to combine that with Hebrews 12 and say, if you're a scorner, you're basically proclaiming you want to be a bastard, illegitimate. Because if you receive not correction, then are you bastards, King James, not trying to cuss. Then are you bastards, then are you illegitimate. If a scorner does not receive correction, then the scornering attitude is the attitude of an illegitimate one. I think a little bit of hop, skip, and a jump, and the, I don't know, distributive property or whatever, mathematics or whatever, associative property, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If the scorner doesn't receive his father's correction, and he that does not receive a father's correction is illegitimate, then a scorner is illegitimate. Our attitudes determine what we want to be. We ought to be humble and say, Lord, correct me. Show me where I'm wrong. Lord, let me be humble enough to receive correction from anybody, even a pagan. Let billboards correct me. Let me be tender enough in heart to let the evening news correct me somehow. But why are we so adamant to be right constantly? And we should teach these truths to our children. I think I've told you that we, uh, we teach our children that we judge them so that they don't become like these limp-wristed modernists who are afraid of the word judgment. I say, son, go in there and clean your room, then I'm going to judge you. And when I'm done judging you, you'll either get dessert or a spanking. And then we can go play. We did it the other day. He wanted to watch something on his iPad uh, and have a snack. I said, is that, he was in mommy's office. Is mommy's office clean? No, sir. I said, well, go clean it, then I'll judge it. And after I judge it, then you can have a snack. So he runs in there, he cleans it. He says, Daddy, I've cleaned mommy's office. Can you please come judge me? And I thought, that is music to my ears. I want my child to say, Daddy, come judge me. My girls will say, Daddy, come hear this song. Can you? Sometimes I'll say, can you show me what to do better? Instead of this being allergic to being better. Why are we allergic to being better? I mean, the only reason you'd be allergic to being better is if you think you had already arrived. We've not arrived. We need God's constant tweaking. We prove that we're his kids by our willingness to receive his corrections. So chapter 13, verse 1, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. So we'll just say scorning, again, hates correction. I think we've also all been there, especially those of us that are older and southerners, where dad would line us up, we're all in trouble, and he'd be chewing our tail, and you have to just sit there and take it. And if he catches you, roll your eyes. Oh, anybody ever been there? Boy, are you not listening to me? Are you mocking what I have to say? That's fulfilling chapter 13, verse 1. All right, son, double the punishment just for that eye roll. Didn't even say a word. Scorned in the heart. Either that or beat twice as long, grounded twice as long, nearly starved to death, got no dessert for dinner that night, had the Nintendo taken away. Or the bike confiscated. Back in my day, you want to punish a kid, take his bike away when he was 10. And now he can't run the neighborhood. We've all been there growing up, and I think we're going to have to walk our kids through it some more. Chapter 14, verse 6. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. 
Wow, that's terrifying. Uh, if you can't ever figure out what to do and you're seeking it, maybe judge to see if there's any scorning in your heart. Scorners can't find direction. Maybe it's because you burned all your bridges. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. You can't mock all the leadership in your life and then expect to have direction in a time of need. You don't get to pick and choose what leadership looks like in your life. You got to take the good with the bad. Even if your boss is rather mercurial or capricious, you still got to take the good with the bad because he's still the boss. And if you can take the bad, then the good will be even better. Even as Ecclesiastes says, if the spirit of your leaders incensed against you holds your peace for pacifying yields great anger. Just chill out. People are quitting because they had owie words at work. Owie. I told you this morning, I miss being in the world. I miss working in the world. I miss having that influence on pagans. I love being able to be with the police because it gives me an outlet into the world. It doesn't bother me, the language, the coarse jesting, the dark humor. None of it bugs me. I get to be around different people and let my light shine. And we get offended over the boss, over the professor, over the pastor. And all it really shows is our immaturity. I think we all have more scorning in our heart than we realize. We'd say it this way. If somebody tells you something, you just roll your eyes. How many of you love it when your kids roll your eyes? Isn't that one of the greatest universal signs of disgust and dishonor? Yeah, we can roll our eyes without ever rolling our eyes. <sighs> There's just that sigh. And my generation was worthy of a beatdown. Yep. We were raised with two by fours. I was discipled with hammers. I don't know what this current generation is doing, but chasing Barbie. <laughs> I mean, all you had to do is go, <sighs> and when you catch a hand in the back seat, and mom and dad had a sixth sense that you and your brother were scorning them, they just start swinging hands mildly and stay in the middle of the road. It's miraculous. <laughs> Driving a, a Lincoln Continental, we had a, a, a Ford Granola. No, what is it, Granola? Huh? Granada. It's like, Granola's not right. I got that one in high school, Granada. I could see the words, like, what is that? It's Ford Granada. We had a Ford Granada, which was like a middle-class Ford boat. It was silver with blue soft ragtop. We got beat in that thing. Ford Granada, we upgraded to a Dodge Caravan. Dad had a yellow Toyota Corolla. He got a Volvo DL wagon. Got beat in all those cars. And now you have to use the right words or they'll leave your church. Leave. I was doing fine without you. You're exhausting me. Go find a daycare somewhere because that's more aligned on your intellectual level. <laughs> Those are ouchy words. All right, whatever. Verse 9, Ford Granada. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. And the word mock there in the King James is scorn. Fools make a scorn at sin. They, they don't care about sin. They, they think it's no big deal. It's a light thing to them. We don't want to be among that. Don't be a fool. We'll just say fools take sin lightly. Chapter 15, verse 12 is our next one. I'm just going through the Hebrew. A scorner loves not one that reproves him. We are seeing, now this is the third or fourth time, 
Scorners don't like correction. Scorners don't like correction. Our confession ought to be, Lord, I love correction. Lord, it proves I'm not illegitimate. Lord, if you love me, correct me. Lord, if you love me, correct me. And don't just say it with your, heart, your mouth legalistically. Say it with your heart. Lord, if you love me, correct me. Lord, put me in a position to be corrected. Lord, if you love me, correct me. But here is our fourth witness that scorners do not love correction. Neither will he go into the wise. Scorners resist. They um, avoid wise, authoritative people. Scorners don't love correction. They avoid the wise. We have a dangerous emotion, a dangerous heart condition here. And I want us all to get the victory over it and also teach our kids how to do it. Got to go quick because we still got lots of verses. We're a little bit over halfway. Let's just read some of these. Chapter 19, verse 25. Smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath knowledge and he will understand knowledge. This is almost a sarcastic proverb. Rebuke a scorner. It won't help him at all. But everybody around them will take note. So sometimes you have to rebuke a scorner, not that you're ever going to be able to help him. Maybe you're hoping he leaves your business. Maybe you're hoping he quits your class. But if you smite him, everybody else will take note. All right, note to self, don't behave that way. Professor doesn't like it. Boss man don't like it. But this also tells us that scorners still beg for correction. It really is amazing how many of these proverbs revolve around a scorner's relationship with correction. This seems to be the only attitude that cannot receive correction well. Even bitterness can be corrected. Hatred can be corrected, but not scorning because it's so prideful and haughty. And it just smolts and it just smolders in its heart. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Who do you think you are? I'm better than this. You don't know what you're doing. <sighs> just like a little diva. <sighs> just thinks it's so much better. Ugh. Yeah. All right. Verse 28. An ungodly witness scorneth judgment and the mouth of the wicked devoureth. I'm going to look at what that says in the King, uh, New Living Translation. A corrupt witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Punishment is made for scorners. Punishments made for mockers and the backs of fools are, to be, are made to be beaten. <laughs> Judgments are prepared for scorners, or as the New Living Translation says, punishment is made for mockers. I don't know if there's any subject that requires so much punishment and correction, yet so resistant to it as this subject of scorning and mockery. Now, at this point, we're starting to beat a dead horse. But God's not done in the book of Proverbs dealing with us, showing us how much he hates this attitude. And maybe we finish it just so we can continue to see God hates this attitude. And maybe in our heart, we can say, Lord, may it never be in me at all. Let me smell scorn over the least things. Let me smell scorn, mockery, disdain. We, we all have it in us. Sometimes it's proper. Most of the time, it's probably illicit. It's an attitude that will keep you from being promoted. It's an attitude that will cause God to resist you. It's an attitude that will cause friends to leave you. So let's keep looking at verses you got 25, 28, 29 in chapter 19. Let me go back here. 
chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, that is, wine is a scorner. Now, if we've already seen how heavily condemning scorning is, why would we participate or drink something that scorns? Wine is a scorner. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, but he didn't drink it at that wedding of Cana of Galilee. So quit using the Lord's first miracle to justify your addiction. Chapter 21, verse 11. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. Twice this verse is repeated. When the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Same thing as chapter 19, verse 25, I believe. Smite a scorner and the simple beware. Uh, we're seeing that this scorner requires punishment. The simple is made wise. So I'm going to add 21, verse 11. Hopefully you're taking notes if you're interested in this. Scorning requires punishment. Or God loves us so much, he's teaching us about it, so we'll just hate it on our own, and he won't have to punish us for it. Again, scorning's an attitude. When you go to get hired for a job, they're looking for a can-do attitude. They're not looking for someone who's going to bellyache against the boss. They're not looking for someone who's going to roll their eyes every time they get corrected. I've told you this before. If your boss has to correct you, you're the problem. The boss doesn't owe you an apology for thumping your soul. You owe him an apology for being a failure. That's so hard. I'm sorry. Grow up. What's wrong with our generation where we think everybody owes us an apology for breathing? Contribute and you'll be worth something. So this attitude of scorning, if you have it, your boss won't want you. You have a, an employment, employment list that's 20 jobs long. That looks weird. It looks like you're unstable. This is not an attitude that's praiseworthy. Anybody here ever be corrected by your boss for attitude? Yeah, several hands just went up. Yep, yep. Okay, probably scorning. This... Are you the executive? Are you the CEO? Are you on the board of directors? Do you go to bed with the burden of the industry on your back? Then shut up. Turn your widget. Hit the button. Mop the floor. Nobody pays you to go... I mean, really. Back in the 70s, they just get you in the locker room and just beat you somewhere. Can't do that. That's called toxic workplace now. It's called Darwinian employment back then. Yeah, he's not going to work, boss. We're, he's not coming back tomorrow. How do you know? We just know. He's not coming back. Be thankful you have a job. And then figure out why you're like a five-year-old brat, not for those that raise their hand, because we're all guilty of this. What makes us go, it's not fear. That's all scorning. Not fair. It's so hard. They don't like me. I've never been so disrespected. Do you hear yourself? Maybe this, maybe you're disrespected because you're not respectful. I have never been spoken to. Well, it's because nobody talks to you. You're weird. I mean, honestly, these are the attitudes that come out of us sometimes. And we think we're so right in it. I need to be treated better. Did you drop your, I don't know, your sippy cup on the playground there, princess? I mean, do you, do you hear how you sound as an adult woman? God doesn't have time for that. We can grow up out of it if we want to. You don't tolerate it out of your kids. God's not going to tolerate it out of his. I've never been so disrespected. Well, 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 act respectful and you'll be respected. 
You can't demand respect. You earn it by being venerable and mature and taking a little bit of an insult. It'll be all right. If you can't take an insult, go back to the playground, rub some dirt in your wound. That's how we were brought up. I hurt my knee. Rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine, boy. It was either that or methylate or alcohol. And like, well, I don't want that. Work, worms and dirt will be just fine. I'm telling you, our generation, we weren't as tough as the World War II generation. We were pretty tough, though. Well, I mean, we were all but raised by ourselves on the streets of the suburbs. I mean, we're, we're, we're neighborhood hard. Not just hood hard, neighborhood. I'm talking about middle class white America in the 80s, ruthless. It's gangland. There was nobody to comfort you when you stayed in the community pool too long and your eyes were burning. There was nobody there for you. Mom and dad were working two jobs to buy a BMW they didn't need. <laughs> you just learned to deal with it. You went to, head, went to bed crying, not because mama wasn't there, because the chlorine burned your eyes. The 15-year-old running the pool spiked it way too strong, and it burned, and your swim trunks came out yellow. And It was basically like being world, raised in World War II. I mean, that was the 80s. And we had MTV brainwashing us. Chapter 21, verse 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Who has Proverbs? I'm sorry, Amplified. Anybody got the Amplified? Dr. James always had it. Kale, uh, what does the Amplified say there? Chapter uh, 21, verse 24. Proud and haughty man, say it again. Scoffer is his name. Deals and acts with overbearing pride. Overbearing pride. A scorner deals with overbearing pride because they always have to be right. I, let's just be servants. So really, if you, would, if you and I would daily pray, Lord, help me be a better servant, that would solve so many of our problems without having to nitpick the problems we could just be a servant. I'm going to read 21:24 in New Living Translation. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Mockers or scorners are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. So one of the things we could say from this 21:24 is that, again, scorning is a severe manifestation of pride. I'll say scorning is extreme pride. I've never been so disrespected. They, they don't know what they have in me. Yeah, I'm sure they do. They hire a lot of people. And I was looking for a job when I found this one. Well, apparently, because you have more jobs than girlfriends. So get back in the unemployment line. Go hungry. Look at chapter... I mean, we work in this region, so we hear all this. We hear these attitudes. Everybody just thinks they're God's gift to the earth. They contribute jack. Proverbs 22.10. I'm going to read this in the Amplified 2 here. Let me read it in King James. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yes, strife and reproach shall cease. What's that say in the Amplified, Kale? 22.10. Drive out the scoffer. Drive out the scoffer. And contention will go out. Yes, strife and abuse will cease. This tells us that if you can't get a scorner to repent, get rid of them. On your job, at the dinner table, in a local church, in a youth group, in a band, if you can't get rid of the scoffer, you're going to have strife and turmoil. 
Uh, we talking with our youth this morning. All of our youth come from larger families. I said, we all know it. We all sit at the table and one of the siblings has that attitude. And everybody knows if they don't change that attitude, I give them three minutes. Dad's going to nail them. Dad's going to nail them because dad's going to operate or mama's going to operate on this spiritual law. Either you change that attitude at my dinner table or you're going to your room hungry. Is that not a common? That is spiritual law. Now, if we won't tolerate it out of our five-year-old or our nine-year-old or 11-year-old at a dinner table, why would a boss tolerate it out of you? When, he's not paying you to get this out of you. He's paying you to build a widget. So just build the widget. No attitude required. We can almost train monkeys with AI to build the widget. So you're blessed to even have a job. So drop the attitude. Same with the worship team. We got any strife? I'll deal with it because I want the anointing of God, not retardation when we sing a song. I've told the story. It was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had involved in worship. When I wasn't pastor yet, but I was taking over the sound it was a Sunday morning, and back in those days, I don't know, anyway, we have like 20 people on stage. It was five singers and a 10-piece musical ensemble. It was a lot. We had a lot of people up on stage. Then we had a choir in those days, too. A lot of weight on that stage. That's why it still creaks to this day. It's a lot of people. I mean, I think there's more people up here than there was down here sometimes. That's not true. But we were mixing sound, and one of our singers was a pure diva that morning, and they were scoffing. And it was contention. It was, get off my part. That's my part. It was just such, nya, 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 nya. And I told Chip, who was training me on the sound, I said, Chip, I can't make it sound worth anything. I said, everything is where it ought to be. And they'd try a song, and it was just chaos. And, and then they'd stop and nitpick at each other, nya, 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 nya. And everybody was kind of tiptoeing around the diva. And that's when Chip famously said, Chris, the problem is there's more flesh up there than at a Weight Watchers convention. That was his way of saying there's a lot of carnality on that platform. Well, the fallout got so severe that Sunday morning during our worship practice that the diva just went home and never came back to church that day. So then we have our Sunday school as we always do. And then worship's next. And I'm thinking, oh, God, help us because it was horrible. And yet it was perfect worship. It was beautiful. And I realized we cast out the scorner. And the strife ceased. I realized in that moment who the problem on the platform was. It wasn't Miss Amy. It wasn't anybody, the, anybody else who got sucked into that foray. It was the striver. It was the scorner. We cast them out, and we had the anointing of God. And I really had to do nothing with the sound. That's how powerful verse 20, chapter 22, verse 10 is. Cast out the scorner. Just get rid of the scoffer. Bosses do this professors and teachers will just say, go to the hallway, go to the principal. I don't need your attitude. How many times has a parent said, go to your room? How many of you as parents ever said, I don't even want to look at you right now. Is that right? That's parenting. Go to your room. I don't even want to look at you. I didn't say anything. Go to your room. I will deal with you when I calm down. That is biblical putting out the scorner. Now, here's the deal. We don't have to be put out. We can put that attitude out. Why would we want to stir? If we're not happy, why would we want to share that? Why do we want a company in our misery? How about we get rid of the misery and be happy? Really, scorners have very few friends. Scorners have very few friends. I'm not talking about Facebook following. We all know those aren't real friends. Nobody on Facebook's coming to your funeral. We're talking real friends. That's why we even qualify. Well, I have a bunch of Facebook friends, which aren't really friends at all. 
scorners have very few friends because nobody wants to be around Debbie Downer. Let's not be a Debbie Downer or a Dougie Downer so we don't sound sexist. Chapter 24, verse 9 is our last one. A lot of verses here. 22.10, get rid of the scorner. This is me jamming Bob wire through a round hole, playfully, I hope, so that it doesn't hurt too bad. 24, verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. So we don't have to say it. The Bible says it. Nobody likes a mocker. Nobody likes Debbie Downer. Nobody likes the bellyacher, the scorner, the one that's critical. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. There's the person who's always critical of everything. Nobody wants to fellowship with the person who's critical of everything because all they do is criticize. And you're going to spend time with them, which means they're going to learn some things about you. And you know they're going to leave you and go over here and be critical of you because that's all they know how to do. I think we all know a person like this, hopefully not too many. If I'm the critic, the mocker, the scorner, if I hang out with Manda, I'm going to bellyache about Gadiel, and I'm going to be- bellyache about the Harrises because that's what a critic and a mocker and a scorner always complains. And man is going to be very reluctant to share anything with me because this person, me, just pollinates scorn and criticism. And she knows if I open up anything, if I reveal anything private, anything personal, they're just going to complain about me when they come over here and talk to Jenna. And now it's not just me complaining to Jenna. It's me complaining about Manda and Gadiel and the Harrises. And Jenna's going to pick up pretty quick. This person isn't worth befriending because all they do is bellyache and I'll be the next person they bellyache about. So then what happens is that relationship becomes strained because you can't share pearls because you got a pig. And we don't cast pearls in front of swine. And that's what this proverb says. Nobody likes a mocker. 24.9, the thoughts of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. New Living Translation says, everyone detests a mocker. Kale, what's the Amplified say? Amplified says that? The scoffer is an abomination. doesn't amplify much on that. Must have blown a fuse or something. Or a cathode tube. Let's not be anything like this. We're all guilty of it. For those that raised your hand, thank you for your honesty. We're all guilty of it, though. This is the most condemned emotion and attitude of the entire book of Proverbs. When Proverbs collectively condemn something over, I think it's 17 times. And its last word is, let's just be honest, everybody hates it. I mean, that's like the final word of Proverbs on the scorner. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Nobody likes you. I mean, that's the final word. Nobody likes you. You were wondering, Proverbs confirms it. Nobody likes you, but we want to. So let's just change the attitude. And we may not be as bad as people we know, but let's not use that as an excuse to not change. So I guess I would be remiss if I did not give you the solution. And the solution is simply to give thanks. Thanks. When you catch yourself scoffing or belly aching or moaning or complaining, because this is all the fruit of the same attitude, just find five things to give thanks for. 
You got two legs and they work. You got two eyes and they work even with some contacts or glasses. They work. You have some food in your stomach. You have a job. You don't like my sermon, but at least you have a church family that deals with you and tolerates you. So there's something. <laughs> you may not like Cookville, but at least it ain't Afghanistan. You don't like your job, but it's better than a ditch. I mean, honestly, we have to practice thankfulness. The Bible calls it a sacrifice. Giving thanks many times is a sacrifice because it's the last thing we want to give God. We want to bellyache. We want to complain. We want to moan. But honestly, hopefully you saw something over the course of these 17 verses that realizes you will curse your life. I will curse my marriage. I will curse my church if I become known for being a bellyacher, a scoffer, a mocker, a derider, a disdainer, a contemptuous person. If that's my fruit, if that's my aroma, nothing will work for me. Nobody want to be around me. But if I can be joyful, if I can always put other people first, if I can always draw people close to me, and instead of criticizing the last three people I was with, focus on who I'm with and encourage them, that's going to draw more people to me. It's a choice. And sometimes if we're a mocker, we learned it from where we were raised, and we just need to change our raising. Be thankful. Be grateful. Teach your kids to be thankful. Teach your kids to be grateful. It could be so much more worse. You, you, none of you are victims. None of you are victims. I could take you places in the world and show you what real victimhood is, and they have a bigger smile than we do because they have the joy of the Lord. So this is how I would study any topic, whether that's healing or whether that was the abomination, desolation. If I were going to do a topical study, I would figure out whatever my topic is. I'd begin to look at the word in the original language. Then I'd find some English definitions and kind of hash out and flesh out the fullness of the word. And then I would topically begin to look at every reference to that word, starting in one book, then maybe a portion of an Old or New Testament, because those are always in little compartments themselves. And all of our doctrines evolve over the course of the Bible. That's not a bad word or a bad thing. The Christian religion is one of revelation, self-revealed, where God reveals himself to us. We know way more about God than Abraham did. Moses knows more about God than Abraham did, but we know more about God than Moses did. It's a progressive revelation. So if you're going to look at prophecy during the time of Abraham, it's going to be very limited as opposed to prophecy during the time of David, which is limited compared to prophecy in the time of Isaiah, which is very different than prophecy in the time of the New Testament. So that's what I mean. If you're going to study, say, prophecy, Take a compartment of dispensation, look at it there, and begin to hash it out. You're not going to be able to do this doing a five-minute daily devotional or read the Bible in one year. I think you recognize that. Those are better than nothing, but you can do a lot better than both of those. You can do a lot better than both of those. If time affords you, read through the Bible in a year and always study something. But just like tonight, we've beat a dead horse. I think we had our gills full about halfway through that list of verses. We got it. This is bad. I'm going to repent. Do we have to go on? Yes, because I have to burn more clock. <laughs> now I feel done. And it's 8 o'clock. That's how you do it. It's how you control the clock when you're preaching. Keep the people interested by telling stories and making them laugh. Because I'm a funny guy. <laughs> and we drove a Ford Granola. <laughs> 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 Granada. Man, I think it was a beast. We grew up, as we pray here, that Ford Granola was big enough, we slept in the back window. Because we didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Some of the kids are like, what? 
Yeah, we, we went to road trips from Tennessee to Louisiana. We slept in the back window. My brother slept in the floorboard. That was big enough for both of us to sleep in the floorboard if we wanted to. We, there were no seat belts back then. The dashes were made out of metal and real wood. You brought babies home holding in your arms, smoking cigarettes with no seat belts on, doing 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Windows rolled up in August with no heat, smoking menthol reds. Those were the 70s. And now everything's non-organic or inorganic, non-GMO, grain-fed, ethically sourced pacifiers. What? Give them a stick to chew on. They'll be fine. You might as well be raising half these kids in some kind of emotional bubble. And yeah, no immune system, no calluses, no pain. Pure Barbie. Barbie Christians. Maybe we'll preach that Sunday. Are you a Barbie Christian? Plastic and fake, dainty, delicate, sissy. Everything that's not biblical. All right, we learn anything about belly aching? Have we pinpointed it in our own life? I want to go home and spend the next 30 minutes with my wife when our prayer time, just giving thanks for 30 minutes. Maybe with my kids tonight before we pray, we're just going to give thanks to make sure there's no scoffing, scorning, or belly aching. We really are blessed, church. We really, really, really are blessed. I don't know why we complain about anything, but we do. We got to catch ourselves and say, Father, forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for letting me do something for you. Amen.